1: going on people? Welcome to Pain Points. As usual, I'm your host Jake Painting. This podcast is proudly brought to you by the SB Nation Podcast Network and the Canis Hoopers family. We are coming to you live straight after the Timberwolves lost 125-121 to the Portland Trailblazers. A tough game and a game that I think reaffirmed that, that Minnesota are still a piece or two away from Competing with these teams that are in the, the playoff hunt in the Western Conference. So instead of dwelling on the game, I think you know this game was, was similar to many other games this season where Minnesota just didn't have enough talent to pull it off. We are going to get into some trade stuff. The The trade deadline is 11 days away, 10 days away, if you listen to this probably. And Minnesota have been pretty active from all reports, especially in the power forward market. Uh, so to, to discuss... All the trades and the the questions that you guys sent in uh, via Twitter. It is Jack Borman, of Super's contributor, friend of the show, pretty much a co-host by at this stage. Uh, what's going on, Jack?
0: You know, I'm I'm pretty good. Um, I needed I needed more beer to deal with the referees tonight, <laughs> but um, but yeah, no, I help. In the words of of Shannon Sharp, um, help is on the way. <laughs> I think with with what the Timberwolves are, are aiming to accomplish here in the next um, the next ten days or so, so it'll be it'll be exciting for sure. Especially considering that, um, you know, it'll it'll give us some fun things to watch on the court as well as off the court. Because I think that Chris Finch uh, has the team headed in the right direction, and they've just been so much more fun to watch and so much more competitive um, in these two games after the All Star break. So I'm just it just makes me more excited to. Um, to write more about it, uh, and to just kind of continue watching the game, or watching the team and what they're going to do, uh, you know, work on the phones here in the next next week or so.
1: Yeah, I managed to go the whole first minute of the podcast without mentioning the referees in tonight's game. So, I'm and you're
0: usually, to... and you're usually like way more about that life than I am in terms I of just hate, like sandbagging referees. the referees.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they hate them. Anyway, that's that's beside the point. Um, as you said, help is on the way, or at least they'll be trying to get some help in. Uh, before we get, as I said, we've got we've got plenty of questions that we want to try and get to. I don't know if we'll get to all of them, but before we get into the, the Power Forward stuff, which is clearly the, the overarching uh, kind of point here and the overarching theme around the trade deadline for Minnesota... Let's get into some of the non power forward questions that we got. I'm just going to throw them at you straight away. This is from Wim Nasons, who uh, is a supporter of the show, supporter of of Canis. I'm sorry if I butchered your name, Wim. But um, his first question he said, Dane Moore mentioned the Spurs would be a great home for Jarrett Culver. Let's say the Spurs agree with that premise and believe he might blossom there. Anything on that team we'd like for Jarrett Culver? Would you do a future, future first? Would they do a future first? Um, what are your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, so I don't, I don't think the Spurs would be interested in, in kind of moving a future first. Um, and, and, you know, I've talked to Dane about this too, and I know that kind of what, what Dane was thinking there, I, I think, just had to do with the fact that the Spurs have such a good development team and really enjoy guys who play hard on the defensive end. Uh, but when you look at the Spurs roster in terms of, these kind of like two way wings that they have, or just wings in general. Um, you know, they already have, you know, DeMar DeRozan who I assume that they'll try and bring back. So they have DeMar DeRozan, Rudy Gay, Trey Lyles, Devin Vassell, Lonnie Walker, uh, Derek White, Keldon Johnson, um, all on their roster right now. So that's like a pretty strong stable of, uh, of wings there. Um and the other thing, too, about Jarrett Culver is, like, his contract is, is not nothing moving forward. So, like, if for Jarrett Culver, if you want to have him on your team, you know, like, beyond this year and looking at the next couple of years. Um, so, right now, Jarrett Culver is earning $6.1 million and then... Um, Next year it becomes six point four, and then if they accept a, a team option in twenty twenty two twenty three, he'd move up to eight million. And I just I I don't think that that team option will be exercised. Um, but but I mean, that, like that's not nothing considering that you already have like Devin Vassell is making less than that, Lonnie Walker is making less than that, Keldon Johnson's making less than that. Like all three of those guys are are far better players than Jarrett Culver is. Um, so I just don't really see why the Spurs would be interested in in making a move like that, um, and I I I I mean for I don't think they'd be interested if we gave Jarrett, them Jarrett Culver for nothing, let alone giving up a, a first round pick for that. Um, so yeah, I mean that's kind of where I'm at uh, because the, the Spurs don't really have like a, a gluttony at any position. I think they just have a really strong stable of players. Um, at every single position except the five spot.
1: Yeah, it's for tolva It makes sense what Dane said that he would be a good fit there because they're notorious for for kind of getting the best out of players, and Pop is notorious for for doing really good things with those kind of pass, dribble, shoot uh, archetype players. But as you said, they they don't need him. There's nothing that they should be willing to give up. Uh, and I guess I'll lump. This next question in there with that is that um, it was Free Marbury who, who sent this in and said, is Jarrett Tolver salvageable or will he be out of the league in two years? And to lump that into my answer, I think that no, he won't be out of the league, I think, in two years, but I also don't think he's salvageable, to be honest. And I know that might be harsh, especially on guys who are, who are pretty high on Tolver, but I just think that I, I, don't, I can't think of one example of a player whose confidence issues – Hinder their game as much as Culver ever turning out to be a good player, and right now it's very likely that he doesn't get minutes on the worst team in the league. He should, and yeah. Especially with Jalen Noel playing really well for the last few games and playing really well in general this season and and showing that he has a skill set that works in the NBA. I just think that Culver is battling with a Kogi for minutes. And Cody still does, you know, the one thing that he does, which is play defense, better than than Culver plays defense or that Culver does anything. I think so. Yeah, it's a tough one with, with Culver. I think I do think he will leave at the trade deadline. I don't know if you agree with that. I do think that he's someone that someone will take because it is pretty easy to convince GMs that that really high draft picks still have a chance to be salvaged. And um, we've seen that over the years, you know, Stanley Johnson, Jilly for still on an NBA roster. These guys bounce around for a long time purely based off the, their draft stock from however many years ago. So I don't think Jar- Jarrett Cobb will be out of the league in two years, but I don't think he's long for the Timberwolves. And I don't think he's really long for, for someone who's going to, you know, live up to their draft hype or their draft position.
0: Yeah, no, I I, I definitely think that, that Jarrett Culver will still be in the league um, just because he gets after it on the defensive end. Um, yeah. And like you were saying about Akoge, like when Jarrett Culver comes back from this t- toe injury that he has, um, I mean, he, he doesn't do anything good enough on offense to warrant
1: time. Um, Especially so what, not in a Chris but, Finch offense where he clearly is prioritizing offense. Juan Chahane well, has played 24 minutes tonight, and that's because spacing and being able to shoot at least theoretically is you know, chief in in Finch's system. He he'd rather go after it offensively than than get, you know, minorly better on defense.
0: Yeah, and the one other thing too is like, you know, think about what Finch did with Zion Williamson last year. He was the offensive coordinator for the Pelicans and they did a lot of these screens where they'd have Zion in the corner. And they'd kind of do a curl screen for him, where Zion would then flat that you know he'd get a, a, uh, you know a screen from somebody that was perpendicular uh, or, or excuse me that was parallel with the baseline, and so then he would fly around that into the middle of the lane and curl around it and catch a pass from the opposite wing, and go in for a layup. and And we've seen Chris Finch try and do that for Jarrett Culver because he knows that Jarrett Culver is a good cutter and has good hands and you know <laughs> is like a the idea of Culver finishing around the rim is better than he actually is finishing around the rim. And even with Finch trying to throw him bones doing that, like he still just looks like a shell of himself on offense. Um, and, And it's, and it's really just, you know, sad to see, I guess that, that, you know, Culver like had an entire team on his back for his whole sophomore year at Texas tech and took the team to the national championship. In Minneapolis, of all places, and then his NBA career starts there, and just hasn't gotten off the ground at all. Um, I, I definitely think there's enough there in terms of, um, you know, what he did after the trade deadline last year, and kind of what he did in the preseason, the first few games of this year, where I think there's definitely be a team that would be like, yeah, you know, we'll take Jared Culver for salary match and a second round pick or something like that. But I I don't think the Timberwolves would get off of him in a one for one move. I think that they, it would be much more likely that they try and include him as like a throw in in a package. Yeah. Um. And we'll get in into that a little bit more as to like where we think some places that he could feasibly end up would be. But, um. Yeah. I mean, I I just I I, I personally don't think he should be in the rotation. Like, I don't think he he has, he does anything well enough offensively to warrant playing time. And if you look at strictly his defense, like. You know, I, I know that I'm higher on Josh Kogi than most, but, but Josh Kogi is still the best defensive player the Timberwolves have. Um, he's been excellent defensively since Finch got here. Um, and the other thing about Josh Kogi that you did not mention that I think needs to be mentioned is that Josh Kogi is a really, really good rebounder for his size. Yeah. Um, and the Timberwolves really, really need more rebounders, especially because Nas Reed um, is not a very good rebounder, and, and neither is Jane McDaniels really to this point. Um, so so they really need guys to rebound you know bigger than they are and, and Josh does that which which is a reason why I think he, he's still on the floor but um you know man I'm rooting for Jared Culver like I, you know it's it's really tough when you struggle with confidence issues um and it's not necessarily indicative of how good of a player you are if that makes sense yeah um so I, I hope he he's able to to land somewhere on his feet but but I completely agree with what you said that that I don't think he's long for Minnesota um, and, and I think it, it it's just a situation where it would be best for him personally as a player and as a person um, to get a fresh start, and it'd obviously be best for the Timberwolves too to you know, bring someone in who, who fits better with what they want to do uh, on the offensive end.
1: One place that I do like for Culver and a player, I don't actually have the, the trade machine up, but I, I think a, a move that makes sense for me is someone like a Ben McLemore Another guy who's probably got more chances than he deserved in the league. But, but Houston are a team that would I, I think would be willing to take on a, a reclamation project. Ben Lacklemore has turned into a really good spot-up shooter. It seems like that's the type of deal you're going to get for Culver. You're not going to get anything back of value unless, you as you said, it's in a deal for for a bigger player and it's just a guy who you convince a team to take on um, with, with the potential that he still theoretically has as a as a number six pick, uh, just two years ago. So, but Ben yeah. Ben Mclemore is a guy who I've had in my head for a while now. It's just like Minnesota needs shooting. You've been beating this drum as much as anyone this season. That just because even when uh, even when Delo's there, even when Beasley's there, they're obviously a better shooting team than they have been this season, and a better shooting team than they've been. For, for years but I don't think that's enough to be like we don't need any more shooters and, and a guy like Ben McLemore who can come in and play 10-15 minutes a game and, and shoot 40% from three on, on catch and shoot threes is some a, a, an archetype of player who I think is really valuable for this team just because they need guys who can play at your low usage and shoot threes and that, that's really not a complicated skill set but it's something this team really craves at the moment.
0: Yeah, I I wouldn't. It wouldn't surprise me either if the Timberwolves tried to go after Daniel House, um, because uh, Daniel House strikes me as the type of guy who, um, you know, contenders are probably going to come after at the trade deadline. um, Just because I I don't really think that anybody on the Rockets roster outside of Christian Wood and John Wall are really on the on the like we won't trade them list. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think they could do something like Ben McLemore and Dante Exum for like Jarrett Culver and. You know, maybe Ed Davis or something like that. Um, yeah. I think that could be an option. But it also wouldn't surprise me if the Timberwolves wanted Ed Davis back um, after this season, just to be kind of like a, a locker room veteran leadership guy to to like keep in the league and keep giving a paycheck to. Um, to just and be he's like a good, lot more palatable
1: but... when he you can bring him back on a vet minimum contract rather than the five million dollars he's on at the moment.
0: Yeah, and I, I just have no idea what the interest for him around the league is going to be, um, because, you know, I mean, he didn't really play in Utah last year. Um, you know, and he played a decent amount in Brooklyn the year before with DLO. Um, so, but yeah, I, I think that something like that is going to be interesting. And, and, and I think, you know, that could also be like a spot for Rubio too. Um, because it seems like the Rockets are, are kind of in rebuild mode. Um, you know whether they like it or not so <laughs> yeah i think they're going to be a team to watch with the wolves for sure
1: yeah especially with the connections obviously through the front office as well uh, you know and Rose has obviously worked there and and has a good relationship and those relationships really do matter i think when it comes to to finding a trade partner and Raphael uh,
0: stone was an in-house hire as well um yeah so yeah. it wasn't it wasn't like it's an it's a new gm there so
1: yeah um you touched on Rubio. We'll move on to him a little bit. Uh, this comes from T Wolves Nation in France. He says, I feel that Rubio and Wynchere might be more tradable than they seem to be. Which teams might have interest in them?
0: Yeah, so I mean, I guess I can start this. So, um, you know, it was reported, you know, I, I kind of forget like if, who reported or, or what kind of steam it actually had um, that the Raptors were somewhat interested in, in Ricky Rubio if they trade um, if they trade Kyle Lowry, uh, and and I, you know, I think the Raptors are going to rebuild here. Um, because if they trade Lowry, um, you know, they have Siakam and OG and Fred VanVleet, but outside and Norman Powell too, I guess. But like outside of that, they really don't have much to work with. Um, like you could you could throw Chris Boucher in there, like that's fine. But um, you know, I I think they're just like in this weird gray area, and Ricky Rubio could kind of help them like stay in that. Like the upper echelon of that weird gray area where they, you know, are still a fringe playoff team, um, and I think you know Nick Nurse would value having a, a, a nice veteran point guard in Rubio who would seemingly play better in a more structured offense, similar to you know what he played with in Phoenix and what he played with in, in Utah. Um, so that's one that I think could be interesting. Um, I would also keep an eye on Detroit too for Rubio because it wouldn't surprise me if the Timberwolves end up having to dump Rubio somewhere or Rubio's included as salary in a three-team trade. Um, you know, it really would not surprise me at all. if, like, um, you know, a team who needed like the Sixers, for instance, will need money to help, you know, get Kyle Lowry there. And so it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if there was, you know, a third or fourth team when Minnesota gets in there and, and use a team like Detroit to kind of help, um you know, help add money in there. Um, another reason why Toronto is an interesting one is because they have Aaron Baines, salary, which is just, I think it's like, it's either seven or 9 million, but it's, it's not guaranteed for next year. So the Timberwolves could waive him without any issue after the end of this season. Um, you know, because I think the biggest, the biggest reason why they'll want to trade Rubio is because, um, they're going after John Collins. And I, I, I personally would bet that John Collins is going to be a Timberwolf two weeks from now. Um, and, you know, well, the track have...
1: record is that when they go after the guys, they usually get them. And even if that's yeah. a, a bad thing, you know, if it's a, 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 guy, <laughs> a guy who we think is probably not the right option, you know, this is the, the second time. I know there's the same kind of rumors have been going around with Aaron Gordon, but it seems like John Collins is firmly in the D'Angelo Russell kind of boat where it's like Gerson Rosas has his sights locked on him and... You know, every day we get this little bit more of a trickle of, of rumors and of of little snippets that that Rosas is going hard at Collins, and we will get to Collins because he is the most important aspect I think of this trade deadline. But Rubio has to be like if you get in John Collins, Rubio has to be going out somewhere. Whether it's a part of the three team deal, like you said, I, I still think Rubio has value around the league. I think it takes for a player of Rubio's. Tenure in the league and someone who has helped a lot of teams win more games than they would have without him. Even if he's not doing it this season, I think it takes more than you know fifty games of playing pretty poorly to to kind of ruin your reputation around the league. And I, I think you can easily get some value back for, for Rubio, if not including him in a deal and, and keep another team happy.
0: Yeah, and the one thing that I want to mention too about John Collins is he's only his salary is only four point one million for the rest, like total for this season. So. He's a poison
1: pill. What? He's got the poison pill contract where you you don't pay much for him, but you do pay for him next year.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, I mean, he, yeah, I mean, simply, he's, he's a restricted, pending restricted free agent. So, um, you know, the Timberwolves will have to pay him whatever, you know, whatever he's worth, um, whatever he's worth next season. Uh, But I don't don't think John Collins has, has the poison pill because I don't think that applies to every player that's a pending restricted free agent. But, um, but yeah, I mean, so they they could feasibly hold on to Rubio for the rest of this season, and acquire Collins this season too, um, and still be under the luxury tax. Um, but if they're gonna get John Collins, which I think they are, um, Rubio absolutely has to be gone, you know, before next season starts. Um, yeah, and, and I think and, it would and it's easier be... to
1: move. It's easier to move Rubio the after office. the season when he is an inspiring free agent, and you don't have to yeah. pay him for, and, for more than one year.
0: And I would I would wager that Rubio will will be in Minnesota for the rest of the season. Um, I, I think that, like I mean, like we said, it's just easier to move him at, at the deadline or excuse me in the in the off season, um, kind of leading up to the draft or during the draft. Um, so I, yeah, I just think it, that big of a contract could be difficult to move um, unless it was part of you know a three team deal where the Wolves, you know use rubio as salary but again it's harder to use a guy's salary when he's got another year left um, yeah on on his deal so i think it'll really all just depend on you know not necessarily what the wolves try and do with rubio but with what the rest of the league is doing and who kind of needs salary um because i mean that salary would be pretty damn perfect to use in a kyle lowry trade for what philly's got going on because otherwise they're gonna I mean, otherwise they're gonna have four guys making like thirty million a year with Harris, with Harris, Lowry, Simmons, and Embiid, which would be unheard of. Uh, so
1: you you're you're the you're the trade machine expert. So is do you think there's something that gets that nets Philly Lowry and nets Minnesota Collins? You know, at the same time in a three team deal?
0: Uh, no, no, because I mean it. I mean that would have to be four teams right there because it would be the Raptors, Sixers, us, and Hawks. Um, yeah, I, I sorry. think. Yeah. I, no, yeah, you're good. Um, I, I, think, you know, I think that, um, uh, the Collins deal would probably be a three-team deal because my take that I'm squatting on right now is that the Timberwolves are going to trade Malik Beasley. Um, and, and I think Hot that. I think that if they're gonna if they're gonna get Collins, they're gonna pretty much say, This is what we're gonna sign you to at the end of this, you know, at the end of this season. then um, and, and kind of let the cards play out as they will. But, you know, especially with the emergence of Ant and Jalen Noel, like if, if you could swing for John Collins and get Cam Reddish back or Kevin Herter back, um, so like Collins and one of Reddish or Herter for Malik Beasley. Um, I, I would do that if I were the, if I were the Timberwolves and that would save you trading a first round pick, um, to, to get Collins. And, and I think that a team with your top seven looking like, you know, d and Ant, um, McDaniels, Collins, Cat, Herder, Reddish, Noel, um, a Kogi. Like, I, I think that that, And then Nas, like, I think that's a better looking 10 guys than, you know, what they would have if they tried to hold on to, if they tried to hold on to Beasley. Um, Plus, they would be pushing pretty damn close to, you know, being $10 million over the luxury tax next next season um, if they didn't play their cards right. So... That that is something that that I would for sure monitor. And then the second part of this question was Wancho might be more tradable than they than he seems to be. Like with Wancho, I, I mean, I, I really don't know. Like I, I could see Wancho really the only purpose of him would be salary filler. I mean, I don't think there's yeah. any team in the league that is calling Minnesota saying, "What do you want for Wancho and Gomez?" I, I think it's solely. Wancho is going to be an asset that is the price of doing business for, you know, whatever salary number the Wolves are trying to get to in order to take back another player. Um, so, yeah. but but I definitely think I definitely think that Wancho would be in, included in any type of um, trade with the Hawks just because the Hawks are still really if they trade Collins they're really thin up front they have like Capella they have Capella Gallinari. Um, and then out, and then Hunter, I guess, if you want to classify him as a four. But then outside of him, it's like they have Anyeka Kongwu, and that's pretty much it.
1: Yeah, uh, I just want to rewind a little bit to the to the Beasley stuff, and yeah. I agree with you that I think it's it's probably an unpopular take, but it's one that I do agree with you with is that if you if you can get back a shooter, be it reddish or or Herder, obviously Reddish has, has been a little bit underwhelming, but still a really good shooter, or a, a decent shooter, and a really good defender as well, which which shouldn't go unnoticed. I think that it's it's harsh because Beasley has been really good this season for Minnesota. He's averaging 20 a game, but I think in a perfect world, he, he isn't much more than a really good shooter, and that's probably underselling him a little bit for... For what he, I, I, don't, I don't think it he's is, done though. this season. Obviously, like I said, putting up that twenty a game, but he he's a really good shooter, and he doesn't really do much else to help your team. He he's mediocre as a driver. He can hit a mid range shot. He's not a good defender. He's uh, a
0: really bad defender.
1: He's a really bad defender, and he's lost
0: good... the Timberwolves probably three or four games with just boneheaded mistakes on both ends of the floor in the last <laughs> yeah. two minutes of the game. Like I'm and, I'm not even kidding. Like and, I. I I would sell high on Malik Beasley before – I don't I don't know. I just I, – I, I trust that he can continue this type of production. But I also like, – you know, I've, I've been to probably six Wolves games this year or five Wolves games this year. And his body language stands out a lot more when you're actually in the arena and you can see things going on. But the amount of times he calls for the ball and just gets upset and his body language completely changes because he's not getting the ball. Um, it is and, just and then he's alarming. Shooting. The
1: next time he gets the ball, he's shooting no matter what the play is, and that's yeah. not not a good trait to have.
0: Yeah, and I think, like, I hate to say this, but I think that like that could be detrimental to Anthony Edwards because, like, I love the passion that Malik plays with, and I love the the energy that he brings, and and how he can kind of swing a game offensively just because you know he can make two, three, four, five threes and, and just get everybody going, but. Um, I mean, when he's not hitting shots, like, he's not doing anything to help your team.
1: And um, he's, and he's, he's not creating
0: for others off the dribble. He's not, you know, getting stops defensively. And he, and he thinks he's the leader of the team. And you can't be the leader of the team when you're suspended for 12 games because of a felony gun charge. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't care who you are. But you just can't be a leader on the team if you get suspended for literally a sixth of the season. Like, I'm sorry, it's just I I, I don't buy that and I, I truthfully think that Malik Beasley's trade value, like, has not been higher than it is right now and I don't know that it will get higher than it is right now.
1: What, what I always come back to is, what is he on a really good team? If Minnesota are really good in two, three years, what's Malik Beasley? And it's for sure not a 20-point per game scorer. It's what he, Joe Harris
0: is for the Nets.
1: Yeah, he he's kind of the prototypical guy who's scoring a lot of points on a bad team, and that doesn't mean he's not a helpful player. He is a helpful player, but only he's only a helpful player on a good team if he's in that that lower usage role where he's pretty much just a shooter, and he doesn't want to accept that he's not getting paid like that. Like he's getting paid more than than what a guy who should be shooting you know eight nine ten shots at most a game, and, and most of them just catch and shoot threes. Uh, so if you can get a guy who like John Collins for him, then that start then this all starts to make sense because if you have Delo, Cat, Collins, and Beasley on your on your cap sheet, things are out of control and there's and it's the identity isn't is a weird one. If you can move Beasley, I think you do it for Collins. I think Collins next to Cat is a great pairing. I think Collins next to Delo is an even better pairing. Yep. And I think Collins next to Ant is a good pairing because Collins is a. a not a low-usage guy because he's averaging 20 a night for the last three seasons, but he's a guy who can operate in a low-usage role because he will just do what is required of him. He'll shoot catch and shoot threes, he'll catch lobs, he'll roll to the rim hard, and he'll get offensive rebounds. And he does all of that at a really high level. And he's happy... He, he's happy... At least his game speaks to him being happier to take a backseat to a guy like Towns or Edwards or or Delo than, than Beasley's is, and more conducive to, to winning basketball. So I think... That's the kind of sticking point for me is in in the Collins deal is is if you can, like how do you how do you fit all this together? And I think the way you fit all of it together is to to give them Beasley. That's the way you keep them happy. It's the way you you structure this team where it actually works and the cap sheet isn't just completely stuffed for the next five years. Um, and, and and yeah, I just think that as much as we both love Beasley's commitment to the game and his hustle on the court and the way he brings a fire that has been missing from Minnesota for too long it's i don't think all of that is a reason to completely disregard you know getting better in the long term and i, and I do think Collins makes them better than Beasley does in the long term
0: yeah so one deal that i had in here um, just to pl- just to kind of play around with is so if Minnesota traded like Wancho and Jared Vander Wancho, Jared Vanderbilt, a second round pick and a 2027 first round pick for Collins and Herder. The with Rubio, the Timberwolves would be 13 million dollars over the luxury tax. Without Rubio, they're about four million dollars uh, under the luxury tax, but they'd have three roster spots to fill. Um, and that's you know not trading Jarrett Culver. That's not trading Malik. Um, and if you trade Malik and, and, you know, get those two guys back, you have a lot more flexibility to make more moves in the off season, um, to, to sign guys in free agency. Like you'd be, you'd be, you know, pretty far over the, the salary cap, but I mean, you'd have enough space to almost, you know, I mean you to use a sizable amount of that mid level, um, or to just like take swings on guys. Um you know, take these, these Rosas type bets. I mean that the the bets that Rosas has taken, um, have been like Jordan bell, which didn't work out. Noah Vonley, which didn't work out. But then other than that, he's taken, you know, Jaden McDaniels, Nas Reed, Jalen Noel, Jake Lehman, which are four guys that have all worked out really well, in my opinion. And so I don't know. I, I think I'm in the pro trade Malik Beasley camp. Um, at this point, like I think, just kind of going through it with you is kind of like tip me over the edge. But I, I just think that you can make such a more deep, well-rounded team. And like if your starting five was, you know, D'Lo, Ant, uh, Josh Akogi, and then or Jake Lehman, and then Collins and Cat, like that can be a playoff five, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Like especially with Chris Finch as the coach, because if this team is competing with you know, the Blazers like they are. I mean, obviously it's like a really small sample size, but I mean, the way that he has these guys playing, and this is without D'Lo and Malik, like just the style in which they're playing is so much more conducive to winning basketball. Um So I don't know. The, the, Rubio, the Rubio and Malik situation is going to be real interesting to monitor, I think, as they get down the stretch here.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, sticking with Rubio and Edwards for, for a little bit longer, this comes from Poor Talk. They say, how many, how much of an impact, if any, do you think Edwards' recent comments about Rubio have on the chances that Rubio is traded at the deadline? Uh, obviously, if you, if you missed it, Ant said that Rubio was the best leader he's ever been around um, and really heaped a lot of praise on him for his off-court stuff and how he's helped Ant kind of progress throughout the season. Um. I'll, I'll say that I don't think it has much of anything to, you know, doesn't really mean that much for, for the front office I think they've proven time and time again that they're pretty ruthless when it comes to to trying to follow the plan, trying to follow the path that they have laid out. If they, if they believe that Rubio isn't part of this roster in the future which it seems fairly likely that is what they would believe if, if they're watching the same thing as us uh, then i don't think that anthony edwards in his rookie season making a comment that that rubio is a really good friend of his and that that is a really helpful guy to have in the locker room has much impact on rubio getting traded i just i just don't think that i mean that, his
0: his comments don't have any bearing at all because you want to know who talks to anthony edwards every day about stuff like this gerson Roses like yeah. I, I guarantee you like i mean it's not like Kirsten found out how Ant feels through, you know, Zoom comments. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, like, th- that was a huge reason why Rosas traded for uh, Rubio in the first place. Um, yeah. and, and so, I—I I, I, like I said, I don't think Rubio is going to get traded before the trade deadline this season. Um, but I, I think it's unfortunate because, uh, you know... Rubio's contract just keeps it it just makes it impossible to keep him around and and like I would like to keep Ricky Rubio around in like a kind of kind of like a Jake Lehman contract where like you know if he plays and plays well great if he doesn't play then like that's not really a bad contract to have like sitting on the bench that you can have for rotational minutes or, or have be like a matchup dependent role um so but he's getting
1: paid too much for that
0: like yeah and it's like, one show, that one, show you
1: like can, <laughs> one show you can do that and it's still kind of hard to swallow at seven million per uh, and he can be a guy who doesn't play for 10 games and then you know plays one or two games in a row depending on matchups but at 70 million it's just not tenable like that's someone you have to move
0: yeah and it's unfortunate that they can't like buy him out after this year and then like re-sign him to another contract like i think it'd be sweet if Some rules like bottom out after the end of this year, they are like, all right, you know, it's 17 million, we'll pay you 14, you give us back 3 million and we'll sign you to like a three year, like $20 million deal or $21 million deal or something like that. Like, I think that would be great um, because then that's still like a really tradable contract to like a contender if they want, you know, an adult point guard to come and just kind of run offense for them, I guess. Um, But, but like, that's not going to happen. So yeah i mean it stinks because we all love ricky as a guy um but but his play just has not been up to the level that i I think the timberwolves need it to be in order to keep
1: him around uh, for the long haul yeah yeah um let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and we'll really dig deeper into the colin stuff and, and gordon and all the power forward questions that we got uh today so see you in a second you ready
0: showtime
1: Okay, we're back. Um, the the power forward position, it's the big one, right? Like, we've already touched on Collins. Let's dig a little bit deeper into that. We'll start with this question from Barney Stevenson. He says, with the Hawks looking a bit desperate to get rid of Collins, is it worth just waiting it out until free agency? Obviously, we'd have to dump a lot of salary, but I think teams would take Rubio or Culver for nothing. Uh, I think we touched on this a little bit, that, that taking Rubio or Culver for nothing is a little bit... Uh, far-fetched I think just because teams aren't willing to you know take guys for nothing if, if they're not playing well Rubio maybe but Culver's a bit, a bit more of a tough pill to swallow the problem with waiting for Collins for free agency and the problem with waiting for anyone for free agency with Minnesota is that the guarantee that you can sign them goes down you know remarkably and even more when this guy's a restricted free agent, because if Atlanta changed their mind, then they can keep him. And historically, we know that Minnesota don't sign free agents, especially not ones of note or Max deal guys. Even D'Angelo Russell, who has, by all accounts, seemed fairly happy with being in Minnesota and with being the to towns, turned them down in free agency. He, I mean, uh,
0: he wanted to be in Minnesota. He just wanted the Max contract. Yeah. And Minnesota I- couldn't offer that.
1: Yeah, it's and their cap sheet is still tough to to offer that you know because you'd have to do a little bit of working around you know with other guys. Obviously, yeah, the salary dumping, the Rubio, the Culver, the Beasley, all that stuff would need to happen. It just makes more sense. It always makes more sense for Minnesota when acquiring star or semi-star players to to try and get them via trade. And Rosas has made not a living, but you know we saw last season with Beasley with Wancho, that getting these restricted free agents is. A path that he wants to take it gives you time to evaluate them it gives you time to to find their value and, and how much you want to pay them and then it gives you the the bird rights to bring them back as an as a restricted free agent no matter what happens in that free agency period so i just think that if it's me you, you have to try if collins is the guy and you need him you, you don't wait till free agency you have to go after him in the trade and, and you have to figure out how you can do that
0: yeah, no, I, I I definitely agree with that. Um, and Atlanta is going to sign and trade him. Like yeah. if, if they don't trade him at the deadline, they're going to sign and trade him. Um, so, I mean, it, it, I don't want to say it's now or never, but I mean, it just doesn't make any sense for the Timberwolves to try and wait to get Collins um, on whatever deal he signs because, you know, the other thing too is like when you have – when it's your own restricted free agent, you also get their bird rights, so you can go, you know, as far over the cap to sign them as you want to. Um, but you know, with sign and trades, there's a lot more um, rules that come into play that make it more difficult to match salaries and make it more difficult to pull off a trade. Um, like the Timberwolves, like so. For instance, like the Kevin Durant D'Angelo Russell trade that sent D'Angelo Russell to Golden State and KD to, to Brooklyn was just like a complete clusterfuck. And and it took a long time for that trade to get done because there's a ton of rules that that, that you know go with go with signing trades. So um, yeah, I definitely think the Wolves are gonna try and try and trade for him at the deadline. Uh, it just doesn't really make sense financially or logistically to wait. Um, especially since his $4 million cap hit now is so much easier to, to find a deal for, um, especially if you want to try and trade Malik Beasley too. Um, the other thing I should note is that John Collins' trade value is a hell of a lot lower leading into restricted free agency than it is once he's actually a restricted free agent because the, the Hawks have no leverage right now as it stands because the Hawks would not be leaking that the Timberwolves are dying to have John Collins. And for anybody who like is unfamiliar with how the leaking process works. So basically teams have all of their sources um, or all of their kind of reporters that they're plugged in with that will, you know, leak out messages at the team's request. Um, So for instance, Gerson Rosas is a Woj guy. Most teams are like, you're either a Woj guy or you're a Shams guy. And excuse me, the, the, the Timberwolves are team Woj and like, so when the Warriors and the Timberwolves started going back and forth, like the Warriors are Shams guys. So (laughs) Shams was leaking shit out for the Warriors and Woj was leaking shit out for the Timberwolves is this battle to try and gain leverage. And the reason why the Timberwolves haven't leaked anything out about John Collins or the situation is because the Timberwolves probably have the upper hand in the situation Because the Hawks probably aren't getting enough legitimate phone calls about John Collins. So they leaked out, oh, the Timberwolves are dying to have him, you know, in hopes that other teams will call them to try and drive the price up so they get more out of the Timberwolves for John Collins. But, um, yeah, I I just think that, you know, the Timberwolves aren't going to bid against themselves in this situation. Like, Rosas is is too smart to do that. Um, So... Yeah, it's just it. You've got to trade, get him before the trade deadline. Otherwise, you probably aren't going to get him at all.
1: And what do you think Collins' value is? Uh, like it seems to kind of vary no matter you know depending on who you speak to. Obviously, Atlanta want to remain competitive and they want to to use this trade to kind of springboard into a playoff push. But they also don't have leverage, like you just said. It's it, that if he wants to leave, and I don't think that they would be even entertaining offers for, for him if they thought they could get him at the price they want him at. If they're not willing to pay him what he wants and they're, they're not willing to, to budge from that number, then he's going to leave in free agency and someone's going to sign him to a deal. And they're the not sh- going to
0: risk actually signing him and saying you're staying here. Yeah. When they know damn well that he really does not want to be in Atlanta. Cause John Collins was pissed that they traded for Clint Capella because Clint Capella is a pick and roll player or a roller in, in they the and they minimized
1: his out. role massively by trading for Capella and Capella has been really totally good. Totally alienated season. him. Yeah. yeah. But the, there was always he's the feeling, Collins. there was always the feeling that, that Collins and Trey were the, the two they were going to build around and Capella on paper, I guess made sense because he's a defensive minded kind of guy. Uh, he works well with Trey, but the, the backlash from that was that Collins is a better player than him. And now he's in a, third or two and a half kind of role. And Collins obviously is unhappy with that. I, I wonder how much that that factors into the money situation. Like does he want a max from anyone or did he just want a max from Atlanta because he didn't want to be there in general. So he
0: turned down what, four for eighty five?
1: Yeah, four four eighty five ninety is the rumor, you know, that that goes around somewhere in that region.
0: Yeah, I mean, the solution to the, how do you want, like, getting John Collins, how do you get John Collins to Minnesota? The solution was in 2017 to draft John Collins instead of Justin Patton. <laughs> um <laughs> I mean, Justin a, Patton, like, there's Justin a lot Patton of those though. All, year, Minnesota, like, should have, Minnesota
1: should have Minnesota oh, we could have ten championships.
0: they're the all-time of like guys that were taking one or two picks after them. <laughs> like, it's just so depressing to look at. But anyway, so I'm gonna get, I'm gonna steer away from that. But um, in terms of like Collins's value, so Collins says he wants a max. Let me tell you what Collins isn't getting a max. Um, I, I would be really shocked, actually, if Collins got anything north of four for a hundred. Um, because if you, if you go around the league and you just look at who has the money to be able to sign him in free agency, um, I I mean, nobody is, is going to be out there offering him that money. Like you could say maybe Oklahoma city would, um, maybe, you know, maybe Chicago can, can clear money to do that. Um, San Antonio is a team that, that I think could feasibly do that if they let DeMar DeRozan walk. Um, You know, Charlotte has the means to make moves to do that, but they already have P.J. Washington. Um, Yeah,
1: they're not going to
0: do it. So everybody just says like, oh, well, you know, there's always someone out there that can do that. But it's like when you really start looking at the math around the league, it just doesn't work. And the other thing too is that, you know, yeah, sure, the Timberwolves are probably shit out of luck in the money category if, you know, John Collins is a restricted free agent and he's on the Hawks versus John Collins, a restricted free agent on the Timberwolves, because then the Timberwolves run all the negotiations. The Timberwolves are going to wait until the last day, see what all the offers are, and then offer John, either let John Collins sign somewhere else, and they'll match it, or the Timberwolves will say, here's our base offer, we'll wait and see, and you know, <laughs> ultimately you'll be a Timberwolf. It's just a matter of how much money you're going to get paid. And Gerson Rosas is ruthless when it comes to that. Like he, like with Jordan McLaughlin, you saw how long that situation played out and he let that situation drag out as long as he possibly could so that he would like get the most value on that contract. And and I would be, I, I you know, the number that I've been using in my salary cap kind of spreadsheets that I have is four for 95 for Collins. Um, I think that that's, you know, pretty fair market rate for what he brings to the table. But also like, I mean, teams aren't going to pay John Collins 30 million dollars a year or 20 you know 27 million dollars a year you know considering that like he hasn't proven that he can carry an offense like i think that if you're getting paid that much money you need to be able to like totally carry the offense or totally carry the defense and John Collins is, never, is like he last year averaged over he averaged 21 a game you know on on 58 you know 40 80 shooting which is awesome um and he he was great last year but again like he they decided to go get clint capella and kind of alienate him and like i i just i i don't know i i don't think that john collins is is worth a a max or you know really close to a max
1: so i think I, i think teams have gotten smarter in in that as well like it feels like that summer of of Lual Deng and and Timofey Mozgov, <laughs> the like, summer of
0: four for seventy for, yeah, for seventy two with Evan, Evan Turner, Turner and yeah. and Lual Deng, just like even but even Andrew
1: that? even the Andrew Wiggins contract, like it seems like there's just so much less of that. Give guys who who should be good in three years a max deal now because it just seems to go south for teams way too often. I just I don't see. I think it's very unlikely that a team would come in and give John Collins 110 million or 120 million over 4 years. Like it just seems like teams are smarter than that. Maybe that's just, you know, recency bias and, and at any point anyone could could make that decision, but it just seems like the chances of you getting him for under 100 million overall is fairly high and if you can move off Beasley and you can, or you can move off Rubio or both it it does make sense to me. I know I know that it's not the smartest way to build a team. You're not a contender straight away. You you're in you know you're up against the the tax line pretty much a lot of the time that he's going to be here alongside Russell and Towns, but it's just I, don't I mean not That's the How cl- else that do mean... that's that's the Minnesota Timberwolves tax, isn't it? Like yeah, that's exactly. What you, that's, that's what you have to I'm do to be a decent team in Minnesota, and we've seen in every day every GM that comes through here tries to avoid doing those things and they end up 15th in the west 14th or 12th or 10th and it's never it's never as good as it could be and even when it is it goes south like the Jimmy Butler stuff I just think that I know that doesn't seem too uh, aspirational for me but I think if you can get yourself into the playoff picture with Towns, Collins and, and Russell then you can start to you start to sign players on the fringes. Those players start to look at Minnesota as a destination rather than the Derek Jones Jr. who who wrote an article about how good Minnesota's offer was to him and how friendly they were, but ultimately didn't sign there. It's, you know, Jay, and J.J. Redick did the
0: same thing too yeah. last summer.
1: When you become a team who's two summers s- ago. sixth in the West or seventh in the West, those guys start to sign for you. And then you can build your team out. And I know that, that you know, the world potential is a bit of a, a dangerous word. But I think that it is underrated how that John Collins is very young, man, and, and someone who was pick 19 in the draft, clearly a, an overachiever from his draft slot, uh, someone who works really hard and someone who's gotten better every year outside of maybe this year where he's plateaued a little bit. But like, I don't know, it, it seems like it's, it's a little early. Like if we're sitting here talking about how much better Malik Beasley can be because he's only young. young, young. John Collins has infinitely more potential than Beasley, in my opinion. And if you I think can he's very someone... better than Beasley. Yeah, oh, for sure. A lot better than Beasley. And if you can get someone like Reddish or, or Herder, you know, on, on the fringe with him, like, that's a no-brainer for me, man. I just think that you have to try and... And I think Rosas thinks the same, and that's why they are targeting him, is because you have to try and get better, even if it's not, you know, first and second in the West next year. This team isn't going anywhere right now. At this rate, Towns is gone by next season. You know, all the you know, the free agency uh, period.
0: I would slow your roll on that.
1: But at, if they if they last again next season and they and they don't get K dunningham this year, or, or well, I, moment, by
0: next season implies that it's like before next season.
1: Oh no! I mean by by the end of next by the end of next season. Yeah, of next I, season. Okay, sorry, I yeah. Sorry, no, I, I, I miss I misspoke that. But yeah, like at this rate, it's it's all just gonna go south even you know more south than it is right now and to stop that you have to show towns you have to show DLO you have to show the the world that you're that you're trying to win games that doesn't need to be 65 games but if you can win 45 that is infinitely you know better than what it is right now
0: yeah no I, I think that we we covered that pretty good um you know I I definitely think that like, and it's not a situation where it's like the idea of Collins is better than Collins. Like, John Collins is a really, really good player.
1: Anyone like think speak John to, Coll- any, any Atlanta, you know, writer, beat guy, supporter, fan that you speak to are all very high on John Collins. They don't want to pay him the match either, but no one does. But they everyone who watches him every night will tell you that he is a very, very good player. He's not, the idea of him is certainly not better than what he is.
0: Yeah. And so – and that also kind of covers a a question we got from Scott O'Donnell too that that said, you know, would we consider moving Beasley for the right fit at power forward? And and in my opinion, you move – I mean, you move Beasley for a guy like Collins. You wouldn't move Beasley at all for like Aaron Gordon. No, um, and I'm, I'm high I'm,
1: on Aaron Gordon, but uh, I'm that's, very that's out a... on Aaron Gordon. Yeah, <laughs> but there's nothing that we disagree um, on more than Aaron Gordon.
0: I know, and it's it's just kind of funny <laughs> that like usually we see pretty pretty eye to eye about stuff, but just like not Aaron Gordon. <laughs> Let me say this: the idea of Collins, or excuse me, John Collins is a lot better than the idea of John. Like the reality of John Collins is not a whole lot different from the idea of John Collins. Whereas, like I think the idea of Aaron Gordon, in my opinion is a lot different than like what Aaron Gordon actually is. Yeah. And, and and that's meant to be a compliment to John Collins that he's like legitimately really good. And you wouldn't need to worry about like, Oh, well I think John Collins would take the next step if he went to Minnesota. Whereas like, that's what people would say about Aaron Gordon. Like John Collins has already proven like last year, for instance, like so just to run through John Collins averaged 21 and a half points, 10 rebounds, a block and a half while shooting 58 percent from the floor 40 percent from three on three and a half attempts and he shot 80 percent from the line on four free throws a game
1: yeah like at, not, in, his not, tw- in his age in his age 22 season like that's not far from any towns numbers like we know from watching that that towns is a better player but like there's very few guys who can give you 20 and 10 be a really good three-point shooter and at least block some shots if not you know be a great defender but at least be a guy who can who can block a few shots here and there,
0: and that was with a twenty two percent usage rate, which <laughs> yeah. is pretty which is really low usage. And so he's just like a, the model of how you can be really efficient in the pick and roll game and as a spot up shooter. And like I, let me say this: there is not a more realistic player that the Timberwolves could acquire now or in the off season. That is a better fit offensively than John Collins, whether it be with D'Angelo Russell in the pick and roll, Carl Anthony Towns in the front court, um, just spacing the floor in general. And the other thing too about John Collins is like, John Collins is I would I would not classify John Collins as a negative defender. Like John he's Collins, done, he's stro- done a lot. Better, as, man, he struggled a lot. Like his first kind of year or two, just because he. I mean, a lot of rookies do, but I mean, he he's been really good when they've played aggressive kind of at the level defense uh excuse he's, me where I mean, and he's positive he's a positive
1: on pretty much all of those metrics like, like d lebron is one i've been looking at lately which is obviously basketball indexes kind of uh you know impact stat, the plus minus uh, similar to to estimated plus minus and, and real plus minus that's the one i've been kind of kept yeah and raptor as well he's a positive there he's Uh, plus 0.12 which is pretty much a neutral defender Uh, I think that he's not going to come in and solve any defensive problems in fact maybe they do get slightly worse you know without Vanderbilt there or McDaniels playing there but the the trade-off for what he does offensively is not like he's not D'Angelo Russell where Russell's a straight up bad defender and and a good offensive player he's a neutral on defense and a really good offensive player
0: yeah and, and I completely agree too that um That um, I mean, you know, too, like with Collins, I mean, he's so athletic and rangy that I think if they traded for Collins, they would stop playing drop. Yeah. I think that they would blitz almost everything, kind of like what the Nuggets started to do um, with Jokic. Once they realized that Jokic just was not a good drop big, they realized that Jokic liked to show and be aggressive, and I think that's also what Cat likes to do. But in order to do that, like, you need to make sure that you have a competent guy on the back end, Um, and like Jared Vanderbilt is sometimes that, but a lot of the times his defensive awareness, like isn't great unless it's like a pick and roll and he's helping on a pick and roll as opposed to like, you know, if cats showing like that's really high, like for instance, that first play with Canner tonight where like they, they blitzed D'Angelo or they blitzed, uh, Damian Lillard and they hit Canner at the elbow and he just, walked in for a layup and, and there was just no help anywhere on the backside. Um, like, obviously I think that they'd be better with that if they practice that, you know, they have, they had a whole like training camp to practice that and, and work on communicating and, and stuff like that. But um, that, that's another reason why I'm, I'm fairly high on, on trading for John Collins um, and why I'm totally fine getting rid of like doing whatever it takes to, to get him.
1: Yeah. Um. Well, I think we've covered Collins. Um, that he he's the one to keep an eye on, right? Like, he's the one that I think is, is most realistic. The other one is is Gordon, and this comes from Jake uh, at JV Swaps. He said, if Rubio's moved in a deal for a power forward, be it Collins, Gordon, etc., which other veteran or veterans would you like to see in, 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 come in to, to mentor the T-Pups? The uh, is there anyone you, you have in mind? Do you think they need that veteran presence? Like, is it something they need to go and f- acquire without rubio or is it something that you kind of just hope that that towns and and russell and, and stuff can take over a little bit of that mantle
0: yeah so something that that brit robson brought up on, on dan's podcast on the last time they they spoke was that there's kind of this like big brother like both cat and dilo think that they're each other's big brother and that there's not like a defined hierarchy between the two of them and i think that that's that could kind of become an issue if they didn't have any other veterans. Like last year they had James Johnson and like D'Lo and Kat both love James Johnson. And this year they have Rubio and like, you know, I think Rubio and, and Russell had a really good relationship at the, at the start of the year. And I think it's gotten worse as the season's gone on, but obviously Rubio and Kat are still super tight. Um, and they have Ed Davis too. Like, I, I think that the D'Lo loves Ed Davis, um, And so as it relates to, like, other vet guys around the league, like, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I know, like, what vet guys are are available other than, like, PJ Tucker, I guess. But he, I know that he wants to go play for a contender. Um, And I think that a lot of that might just have to come from within because I don't think that you – make a trade at the deadline for a guy just so he can come in and be a leader like midway through the season if he's not gonna stay you know two three years down the line um, so I I mean we'll see what happens but um, yeah I I don't necessarily know of, of any off the top of my head but but I I will say that I, I don't think Rubio is going to get traded for a power forward um, I, I think that that would be a, a, a different type of deal. Um, you know, kind of like I laid out where they try and help another team make a deal um, and they can get like a late first round pick out of it or um, you know, a bunch of seconds or something like, or, or an interesting young player that they could kind of throw at the end of the bench and try and start developing. Um, so yeah, I, do. I mean, do you have any off the top of your head just maybe like looking through rosters or something like that? <sighs>
1: No, not really, and it's hard. It's hard, like you said, bringing them them in mid season, and then like these these guys aren't really much of a help unless they can be there from the start of the season and they can learn the the system with you. If they're coming in and trying to learn the system themselves, they're, they're not going to be that much help teaching these young guys how to learn it. Who have already been there for an extra three months. Like, I, I just think that they're, they're guys you get with a vet minimum at the at in free agency. That's the guy that you know you you bring in <laughs> within the second or third last day of free agency, and you do. I him. agree.
0: That's the place uh, to do it.
1: Yeah, and then and because right now, if you move Rubio, you, you're just moving him to become better, and then a, a, and get a get a look at what you can be with Collins or Gordon or anyone, you know, and then you and then you make the decision of what kind of veteran leader you need. It's not ideal. Ideally, you'd have all these vet leaders who who can help your team but i think that it's 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 tough because you, you have the ed davis types and you've already got one of them obviously in davis and i think the most important type is one that plays heavy minutes uh, like a robert leader.
0: covington is kind of like the, per- yeah. the perfect example i guess of that yeah type of
1: well guy. we saw Roto giving anthony edwards advice tonight up to with like three minutes left like he is <laughs> he is <laughs> he's so awesome a great man. dude he's yeah. so awesome like i it's, off the top of my head, that's a hard question to answer, to be honest. I, I just don't know what veterans you can bring in because I think that, yeah, like I said, the ideal veteran is someone who also plays and impacts winning. And there's just not many of those that you can just go out and get. Like, And uh, you know, even guys like Aaron Gordon, who have been the lead for a while, like, uh, he's not considered a, a leader or a veteran, uh, someone who's going to come in and teach the young guys what to do. Just And either is Collins. They're more just guys who are going to inject a little bit of talent into the, into the lineup. So not very helpful from us, but, but I think it's just, the answer is that it's, it's not easy to find those It's guys. just kind
0: of the reality of the situation. Um, one, guy, one, of the... one
1: guy I think is, is Larry Nance, who we could get to this last question, or that question on Nance that we have. Yeah. Is, I think he's a, a pretty good, you know, vet leader. Um, Joe Silby, he, he said the same thing. He said, what's the best realistic deal for Nance? He'd be my, my top choice for power forward. He's got low contract, he's got the vet leadership skills. Over Collins? Uh yeah. Well that's that was his his best realistic deal. He he'd be his top choice. He said it's okay to give fewer minutes and keep developing guys like McDaniels, Nas, etc. Which all makes sense, except that I think that to- Collins is a better player and adds more talent to your team. I, uh, I wasn't
0: I, looking at the question, so I thought you were saying that that he oh, that no, Nance no, was no. your top I, choice. I, I, I do, I do like you, yeah.
1: Collins, but um I think that everything he everything Joe says is very true like larry nance would be a really good fit on this team because he's just like the kind of perfect low usage high energy defensive guy still hits threes you can give those minutes to mcdaniels and and anyone else that you want to try and develop and and still keep nance there who helps you win
0: i think ant would love larry nance and vice versa like i think those two would have just a hell of a time together (laughs) like so larry nance if you don't know um coined the name Sexland as like the nickname <laughs> of the Cavs because of like Cleve like Colin Sexton and Cleveland, but also Darius like Colin Sexton and Darius Garland. That was like the nickname for their backcourt. And they've just like adopted the nickname as like Sexland for their entire team. Um and, and that was all Larry Nance is doing. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean the the big thing about Larry Nance is, is Larry Nance's contract is, is much lower and more palatable than any of the three, being Gordon, Collins, and Nance. Assume I mean when you factor in like what Collins's contract is going to be, you know, next year or in the next three years after that.
1: The so thing Larry though, Nance... the thing though, with Nance is that Nance, I feel like he's also harder to get or less likely that the team want to move him correct that's what i've always thought is that he's more palatable His contracts less you don't have to give up as much to get him salary wise but like cleveland don't want to part with him and he has a
0: front and he has a front loaded contract so most most contracts in the nba are back loaded meaning that generally what happens is um you know the the salary rises about four and a half percent or five percent a year, um, so that you know it take and the reason teams do that generally is because the salary cap is expected to rise every year, so that it it kind of keeps the same somewhat percentage of the salary cap moving forward. So Larry Nance, but Larry Nance's is flipped. So last year he made twelve million, and then it's eleven this year, ten next year, and nine the year after that. So Larry Nance is locked up through 2022-2023, which is pretty damn good considering what his cap hit would be. And, and, and personally, I don't understand at all why Cleveland is, like, why, why he's in trade talks at all. Um, I I think that the Wolves would have to give up the most, actually, to get Larry Nance. I think they'd have to give up more to get Nance than they would for Collins.
1: They have no um, leverage with him. Like, they have leverage with Collins, Yep. Aaron Gordon seemed to be on the outer with Orlando for a while now, and definitely someone who makes sense to move. Whereas Nance just makes no sense. Like you have to give up a lot to get him because there's no reason Cleveland need to move him.
0: Yeah, and the, and and so the the just like the, the very broad strokes of Nance is that Nance is by far the best defender of Gordon Collins and and him out of like the three power forwards the t- team is you know supposedly interested in. He's still you know he's still a pretty good shooter uh from three you know he hasn't quite shot as many threes this year um obviously just because he's been hurt and hasn't played as much like his three-point rate is higher but just in terms of total number of threes so he's shooting 39 percent from three on about three and a half attempts per game but if you just look at the totals I mean he's only shot 67 threes this year um, whereas last year you know he shot 159. Um, so I, I like I, I would like to see a larger sample size of him making a bunch of threes before we just expect that he would be a really good three point shooter. Um, so I mean, in a perfect world, I think the Timberwolves would be able to trade like a very heavily protected first round pick and salary filler, like Ricky Rubio, um, or like Wancho, Jarrett Culver, and Jared Vanderbilt, or something like that for for Larry Nance. But uh, again, like. Any deal that you drum up from the Timberwolves' perspective is is good and well, but it just really does not make much sense for Cleveland. Um,
1: you and know, he would have plenty that... of suitors as well. Like any deal, any deal that someone has, you know, five to ten teams is going to beat Minnesota because they just don't have assets really. Like we 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 love to make these fake trades, but at the end of the day, there is not a lot that other teams want. From Minnesota and the stuff they do want Minnesota probably don't want to give up like Jaden McDaniels is the one there that it's like there's a chance that if you want these good players you have to give up Jaden McDaniels because especially guy like Nance because that's what they're gonna demand Cleveland because there's no reason for them to just take your scraps
0: all right so I want to get to one last question here uh this comes from 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 our good friend Jake Kelly. He's on Twitter at Jake's graphs. Um, you all probably know him. He, he's your favorite Timberwolves follows favorite Timberwolves follow. Um, and so, and so he chimed in, he said, late edition, but are there any guys who wear the number 12 that would make sense for the wolves to better promote, um, <laughs> to better promote the, that we have the threes deal with armies or if the Timberwolves make, 12 threes or more in a game they get like free french dip sandwiches at participating Ar- arby's locations the next day uh so i was curious if you had any any guys who were number 12 like that <laughs> you were thinking about that uh the wolves could feasibly target
1: ah uh, is there any Trevor on graham <laughs> or 12 <12? laughs> Uh, i'm looking at Timball i'm looking at timble's 12s as well jacob evans wore 12s my one of my favorite Timball's 12s who i think is still bouncing around the league i feel like i saw him on my on my fantasy you know player list is gary neal i i don't i think gary neal might play for atlanta so if gary neal plays for atlanta throw him in as i think evan a-
0: turner wore 12 at, at one point uh <laughs>
1: Oh man. He um, said, like who's a 12 around the league? John ja Morant wears 12, doesn't he?
0: Yeah, he does. Okay. I ha- I have a list of of active players who wear number 12. So there's I'm seeing here that there's 13 players who wear the number 12. Um so Steven Adams, LaMarcus Aldridge, DJ Augustine, Gary Clark, Daniel Gafford, Joe Harris, Tobias Harris, DeAndre Hunter, Darius Miller, Ja Morant, Kelly Oubre, my boy BC grad Jerome Robinson, and Grant <laughs> Williams. Um, I definitely
1: so. Well, that means that Atlanta pretty much forced to throw in DeAndre Hunter in, in the John Collins deal. <laughs> I think that's the only way we're getting an, an Arby's, if, if we Ma- Arby's Kat, mania
0: if we trade Cat for those two.
1: I'll admit something on air right now is coming from Australia. Obviously, I I did live in the states for a bit, but like coming from Australia, I've never tasted Arby's. I don't know what Arby's is. I know that from the photos that I see on the Timberwolves broadcast, and those those sandwiches look so good. Oh, it's but, ba- it's so good. It's but I've never tremendous. tasted. I've never tasted Arby's. I'm sorry, Jay Kelly. He'll probably never listen to this podcast again <laughs> after I said that. But I think. DeAndre Hunter is my guess, is my my pick there.
0: So if you want to best market the number twelve, I definitely think the answer is Joe Harris, because you just get Joe Harris with the headband on, with the with just the the luscious flow he's got going, just like <laughs> him and Jake Layman out the back.
1: Those the hit. He- the haircut between those two. Are could we make elite. Jake
0: Lehman and Joe
1: Harris both wear
0: number twelve and both play <laughs> for the Wolves? I, I think that's the optimal solution. Would be to trade for Joe Harris, make where have them both wear number twelve.
1: Uh, and if Joe Harris is on your team, you're hitting 12 threes a night. Oh yeah,
0: like if you had Joe Harris, Cat, and D'Lo, you're hitting twelve. You could hit twelve threes in the first half.
1: That's I mean, sandwiches shit. galore, baby. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and then if you're looking at like most realistic one, I I think maybe like Gary Clark, like you could yeah. like, I that that's probably someone you could have for pennies or Jerome Robinson, you could probably get for pennies. Like Jerome Robinson can shoot; he's a really good shooter at BC. Um, like I, I I still like don't know how he was drafted before Shea Gilgis Alexander was, <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean it, he's almost like out of the league now. But but I I mean he can shoot. I mean, I guess that's like what you're looking for in any guys you're picking up, but I definitely am all aboard the Joe Harris, Jake and dynamic duo train to just <laughs> the, get your Arby's every single night.
1: Yeah. that That's a nice way to end it. I think a nice lighthearted, you know, <laughs> it's made me hungry too. I'm going to go make myself a sandwich as soon as we, we finish here because now I'm hungry.
0: Yeah. No, I, I definitely think though that in, in the next, you know, ten days, nine days, eleven days, whatever it is, when you're listening to this, um, you know that the Timberwolves are going to look different, and yeah, yeah, I think that ultimately they're going to get better, um, and 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 they're going to be more fun. Like, I, I honestly do think that John Collins is is going to be a Timberwolf, and I'm not saying that just to like drink the Kool Aid. <laughs> um, you know, I'm saying that just because. I don't think the Timberwolves are really going to have a ton of competition um, just because I, like I said, I don't think a ton of teams have the cap space to, to try and get a guy like Collins when everybody's saving up for next year. Um, So hopefully the next time we talk, um, you know, it'll be a, it'll be a John Collins trade reaction podcast (laughs) that we can get ripping out here at some point, you know, in the next two weeks. But, yeah, definitely definitely gonna be a, a fun next few weeks here with the trade deadline and then hopefully Malik Beasley and, and D'Angelo Russell making their way back shortly thereafter. So
1: Yeah, yeah, it's definitely things are looking up. Even the losses like like tonight's game is is definitely looking like more fun. I, I had fun watching them tonight apart from the referees sorry I, was, I wasn't was meant to bring that up again but um <laughs> I, 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 do think, right, baby. <laughs> I do think that this team is um is is looking fun and you can see the the potential is there and I think Finch is doing a good job and we didn't even discuss anything to do with the fact that they still could get a top three pick and that would change everything I think as well so as you yeah. said, hopefully hopefully next time we're we're talking about trades and, and we're talking about more wins like the the Pelicans game a few nights ago. And um yeah, I guess I will I'll catch you next time when that does happen, Joe.
0: Yeah, that sounds great. And I'll have more on the trade deadline stuff. Um you know, I haven't yeah. quite decided yet. No, I've got I've got for sure one more part coming. Um uh, that'll probably drop Monday, uh, for people in the United States that are listening to this. It'll probably drop Monday morning, but um yeah and then i might have another part that drops later in the week I, I haven't quite decided what the what i want the timing for for it to be or how how exactly it's going to shake out but yeah i'll have i'll have two more pieces probably coming on the trade deadline before before we get there so so keep an eye out for that um on yeah de-
1: yeah definitely um tune into us, jack if you don't know by now if you're listening to this and you don't know what jack does I don't know what is wrong with you, but Jack does awesome work at Canis and the trade deadline stuff is always really good. He is the the resident expert on on trades and um, yeah, definitely definitely keep your eyes peeled there and uh, I'll see all you guys next week. And yeah, Jack, thanks again for coming on. Always a pleasure, man. Absolutely,
0: man. Good to be with you.